From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today, it's a weekend show. Hello, good morning, happy weekend. We're reviewing our conversation with CEO of Voyager Digital, Steve Ehrlich. That's coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Saturday, July 9th, 2022. Okay, so I have a weekend full of shows for you. The first one is today. I'm going to pull out from the archives, an old episode with CEO of Voyager Digital, Stephen Ehrlich. And the reason why I'm playing this for you today is because tomorrow, Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts is going to be interviewing CZ Zhao of Binance. And in that episode, he talks about would he bail out these companies? Is Sam Bankman-Fried making the right choice? What about the whole space? And the reason why I want you to play this one first and then the one tomorrow is because I want you to hear from October 4th, my conversation with Stephen Ehrlich, the CEO of Voyager Digital, and understand what's the whole vibe? What was his talking points? How much confidence he had in the system before, 10 months later, he's filing for bankruptcy. Is July 10 months later from October? Maybe nine months. Anyway, doesn't matter. So I wanted to play this so I, we can set a groundwork, so we can set a framework of how we bought into it, how a CEO positioned himself, how he sold his company, the confidence he had because of all these different factors. And I want everybody to hear this. Now, I'm not trying to, now I'm doing this not because I want to, I guess, point a finger at, look at this guy. He, he, he deceived everybody. And that's not my point. My point for doing this is I want everybody to see where we were and see where we are. And by doing that with a primary source like this interview with Stephen Ehrlich, we can help figure out where we're going. And we can do that with different point of views. For example, CZ Giles' comments on St. Bingman Freed's bailouts from Decrypt's sister show. Is it sister, brother, cousin? I don't know. Sister show, GM, with editor-in-chief Dan Roberts. So let's get into the crypto prices, and then we'll get into this interview. And I'm recording this at 7.36 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $21,698, up a half a percent in 24, but still up 13% in seven days. Ethereum's at $1,220. It's down 0.3%, but up 17% in seven. Tether's number three, USDC is number four, and Binance is number five at 243, up 1.8% in 24. Running off the top 10, we have BUSD, XRP, Cardano, Solana, and Doge. Total market cap is up 1.3% in 24. It's at 960.6 billion, a BTC dominance of 43.1, and an F dominance of 15.5. And now let's get straight into that conversation with CEO of Voyager Digital. Steve Ehrlich, CEO of Voyager Digital. Welcome to the show, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here today. 
I appreciate you coming on. In all disclosures, I have money on Voyager. I'm a Voyager user. And so I want everybody to understand that before I start asking the questions. And my first question is, you know, I'm getting paid some really good interest uh, on Voyager. Is this unimaginable to think that a bank could do the same? Look, we have a rewards program set up that allows you to earn some yield on over 30 coins uh, just by holding the coins on our platform. Uh, so it's, is it sustainable for us? Yeah. Can banks do it? Absolutely. I think banks should be doing it uh, for consumers. Uh, I think that the rewards we give is something banks can do and should be doing if they have their customers' best interest at mind and at heart. What is preventing banks from then doing that? Because honestly, it's, it's only an upside for both parties, I would assume. Uh, what, what is the breakdown between the bank and the customer that I guess the crypto space is trying to uh, fill in? You know, crypto is all about community and decentralization and bringing the power back to the people, right? I think that's the big difference between banks and companies like Voyager is we want people in the ecosystem. We'll make our money on the trading side of it and other products we will bring to the market. Uh, we're just bringing value back to consumers. And I think that's the big differential between banks and crypto companies. Crypto companies work for the consumer. Banks are not necessarily working for the consumer. Look, Voyager has been having a huge year in growth, actually a huge couple of years of growth. Can you tell me about how this is affecting you, the way that you're running business and how that, I guess, people are perceiving the company as of right now? Yeah, it's been an amazing couple of years for us, especially in the last nine months. We've gone from uh, 150,000 users on the platform to somewhere over 2 million users in literally nine wow. months. That's, wow. uh, I don't know another company. Uh, we've been asked that. Have we been able to find another company that's grown that fast, that quick? Uh, haven't found one yet. But I think from our perspective, by keeping, as I said earlier, by keeping the customer first, that is what's been able to help drive our growth. We're only working for our customer as a product. I mean, that is our number one focus. We run by these rules that my dad told me. Rule number one, the customer's always right. Rule number two, when the customer's wrong, refer to rule number one. That's how we operate our business. Now, we work for multiple constituencies, investors, token holders, et cetera. But in the end, the customer makes our business. We focus on our customer. You guys are publicly traded. Is that correct? That is correct. We're on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the OTC markets in the U.S. And so are you a U.S. or a Canadian company? Well, the public companies you know, in Canada with their registered location in Vancouver, but most of our business, if not all our business is in the U.S. today. And that's where my next question uh, comes in. Publicly traded in Canada, and then uh, you have a lot of U.S. users. Does that have any kind of, uh, I guess, regulatory troubles or, or hurdles that you have to come across? And as a customer, if you're publicly traded in one country and people are using it in the other country, does that pose any, I guess, uh, conflicts of interest for the customer base that you have and the uh, shareholders or, or stakeholders in the company? The answer to that is no. I mean, the it's actually more transparent for customers. It doesn't matter what exchange you're listed on. There's thousands of co you know, companies in the world that list on one exchange and have their main business in a different country. But being a public company brings transparency to consumers. So whether we're in the U.S. or Canadian markets, you see that the assets that we have for customers are actually there, audited once a year and reviewed by auditors on a quarterly basis. So our numbers are valid. We're transparent. Everything is there for a consumer to see, which is extremely important in this industry because there's only one other company that is public that does something similar to us that can say that. And what company is that? I can't say them. I can't give them free airtime. They're they're big enough. They're big enough as it is. They don't need me giving them airtime, but they know who 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 we are. As I said at the beginning of this, I said that I'm a user of um, app and your services. 
And the reason why I asked those other questions about the conflict of interest and the hurdles and so on and so forth is because I want to know about security. Because look, when you talk about APY, when you talk about the product that you have for your customers, the thing that a lot of people, because we're not used to it, because we use banks and we get 0.03% interest, if we're lucky on our savings accounts, he was like, is this too good to be true? And what if, as we know, this is the crypto space, uh, hacks happen and, and mistakes happen all the time. How confident, how secure is this service for a, a customer? I'm, I'm asking this because, look, what kind of recourse do I have as an American if it's a publicly traded uh, Canadian co company? What kind of uh, security can I have as a customer to use this? Because I see these uh, this interest rates, this, this, this rate of return that is unfathomable in this modern time. Yeah, a couple of things. One is we're public, you know, the primary exchange is Canada. But we also are on the OTC market, so we're required to file financials in the OTC markets portal as well. So we do have publicly filed statements there. Additionally, we're regulated by FinCEN and all the states in the U.S. So we have a lot of regulation that we abide by. Uh, so you're comfortable from all that aspect. U.S. customers should feel extremely comfortable just from that perspective. But from a security perspective, we have a top-notch security team. We custody the assets over six different custodians. Uh, we also lend this, you know, the coins to certain uh, certain players, big guys, Galaxy Digital, Alameda, Jump Capital. So we're sending coins to really secure billion-dollar companies as well. And all that information is, again, in our public company financial statement. So people can see how much is, is lent out versus how much we keep with our custodians. So we put together a model where the risk and six custodians rather than one singular custodian that all other people have. So we've put this risk uh, over multiple, but we also have top of the notch security team. If my money or my USDC that was that's on a Voyager was happened to be lost, none, no fault of my own, obviously. Um, and, and it was just a hack from the company. Is, is that something that you guys would reimburse? We have insurance policies in place uh, for that. And, you know, and so we would uh, effectuate and put those in place. Now I'm obviously Totally just uh, asking you questions that are in my benefit because uh, yep. I'm, I'm looking at this as a user, as a customer of your services. But now I want to know about like the future of crypto payments. What do you think about the future of your industry and this industry in general? Oh, man, I'm so excited about crypto payments. Uh, we bought a company August 1st out of Denmark called Coinify. Uh, they will effectuate payments in merchant systems, whether it's PSPs or direct to merchants. I think consumers will start spending the USDC stablecoin in record paces coming up. If you give them the opportunity for merchants to receive it that way and convert that to dollars immediately, like Coinify does, you're going to see payments in the digital space and the crypto space just take off over the next couple of years. We're super bullish on that side of the business. How do you think that this is changing the idea of a bank, idea of savings, idea of hodling? Hey, I think everybody becomes their own bank. I think that's really the key here is that you know, what we said earlier, crypto is for the people. It comes back to, you know, who's getting the value. It's your money, right? When money goes into a bank, all of a sudden you've lost access to it. You can't get it on a Saturday or Sunday. You can't move it. You can get a certain amount out from the ATM. So it's really access back to people and you become your own bank. And that's, you know, we're setting the infrastructure. Uh, we're obviously a centralized broker, but adding decentralized functionality over time and giving more and more power back to the people.
What do you think about the governments around the world? Look, we know China's stance on cryptocurrencies and their idea of CBDCs and stable coins and so on and so forth. I think that the US and the UK and Canada, Canada is actually a little bit more progressive and bullish with this. But in the UK, UK and the US, we're still trying to figure out how, how this is all going to fit in, how this is all going to be regulated. What do you think that the US should do right now when it comes to USDC, stable coins, and maybe a CBDC? Look, I think regulation is actually really good for the industry because it will you know, spearhead adoption, even accelerate adoption to a, a large degree. Uh, I think when it comes to a USDC, I think I'm, I'm reading a bunch about there being rules in place about being you know, 100% backed by dollars and so forth. And I think we're going to get rules there. And that is actually a good thing. The government should do central bank digital currency, and I think they will. I think it's going to take time. Obviously, other countries have a lead on the US, but that will come. And again, it's all about how consumers want to use the payment systems. And we're going to get there. I, I think all regulation to that is, is really good for the industry. Why do you think a government should do, use or, or convert to a CBDC, central bank digital currency? Well, I look at it and say that, you know, I know there's a lot of people that say, well, that's bad because that means they can track everybody's payments, et cetera. Uh, so there's that negative point. But we're working in a digital world anyway. And I think if you have a central bank digital currency that could move money 24 7, 365, that's a really good thing for consumers. There's no reason for money to be tied up like it is today in banks or traditional brokers. And so I think the CBDC will actually lead towards that. In your previous answer, you said something that I really want to touch on for a minute. You said regulations. And I, on this show, I usually try to frame the that question or that statement as regulations versus frameworks as regulations are putting restrictions on certain companies or certain aspects of a company or an industry. And a framework is a frame uh, from the government to allow it to grow. When you said regulations, do you mean that you think there should be restrictions on the industry or more of a framework of how the industry should grow? And if that's the case, what do those frameworks look like from a government? Yeah, I think it's it's a framework that will become into regulation because I think it is incumbent upon parties uh, like ourselves and the public companies that do this because we're transparent, net capital rules, things in place that you know where you're putting your money. And if you're you're handing over your money to us to go buy crypto for you, you want to make sure we're holding it. You want to make sure we have enough reserves, uh, insurance. You want to make sure all these things are in place. And I think a framework starts the regulation for that. And I've seen some proposals on that. And the initial framework will lead us to regulation that, you know, companies like ours have to file with the government to show that we're, we're solvent. I mean, there's so many of these exchanges and wallets and that are out there. You have no idea if they're solvent. You know, two companies are solvent because we file public company statements. What is in the future for Voyager? Yeah, I mean, we touched a lot on banks and we're deep into the development of our debit card. I'm actually looking at it on my desk right here right now. Uh, the first version of the debit card to allow consumers to pay, you know, earn their rewards in USDC, use that as, you know, through the debit card rails and be able to make payments. Uh, that's close uh, and getting to the marketplace. Uh, we'll test it first with employees and friends and family and then bring it out to the marketplace. Working on a desktop version of our, our platform, a dark mode of our platform. And then obviously the big one is uh, two big ones is get international. We have an, a licensed entity in Europe that we can use for Europe. Uh, we're close in Canada to get licensed. And then we're going to bring stock trading to the platform in 2022. So just let me summarize this. Um, your platform right now, your app offers a 9% if I'm correct, APY on USDC. Am I correct with this? 
Yeah, we offer a nine percent reward on the uh, on USDC. Yep. Well, first of all, that's just astounding, amazing. Congratulations all, again. People are probably wondering, is this too good to be true? That's why I've asked the previous questions. Yeah. And now you're going to be able to put your USDC in there, earn interest on your USDC in nine percent. Let's just say at this point of talking right now, today, October fourth, Monday, and now we'll be able to spend that USDC with a debit card. That's a hundred percent accurate. That is our goal to allow people to use USDC to pay, go swipe their debit card, paying for gas, paying for dinner, swipe it, and you'll be earning all the way up. You earn those rewards all the way up to the point of swipe. Everybody who listens to the show knows that I lie about the last question. This is my last question. That sounds like the future of banking. That sounds like the future of what I want to do with my money and the flexibility and the and that I want to have with my banking. Why do you think a government, because we see this in the United States when it comes to other lending platforms or platforms that pay you an APY on your USDC or stable coins. Why do you think a government would be against this? Great question. I would I would ask uh, you know the government to come on and answer that question for you. Uh, I think if you give the customers the information that we do and give them the investor protection with our net capital that we have and being transparent with everything, uh, the government should be comfortable with that uh, because the investor has all the protection that they need to do that. And so I think that's a good question for regulators. Uh, and I think they'll answer that over time when they put some rules in place. But anything that brings value back to consumers should be something that's spearheaded and looked to as valuable. Because remember, more money that is that, that consumers earn means more money spent in the economy. And that's a good thing for us. It's not a negative. We need money to be spent in the economy to keep it running, uh, especially at the levels we are today. Steve Ehrlich, CEO of Voyager Digital. Thanks for coming on the show and talking about Voyager. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Moving into some quick news today. Security regulators in Texas and Alabama announced today that they are expanding their investigations into Voyager Digital following the emergence of new information after the collapse of the exchange. The director of enforcement at the Texas State Securities Board said, What we're seeing now is that a lot of these crypto lending firms may not have fully disclosed what they're doing on the backside with investors' money. And they didn't disclose the risks associated with these types of lending practices or even the other types of transactions that they are engaging in. The chief director of the Alabama Securities Commission told Bloomberg, We are investigating these companies and trying to figure out what happened and why. We are making inquiries and still the initial stages but we have a responsibility on the behalf of our investors in our states. As always, when news comes out, we will let you know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back tomorrow with Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts and his podcast, GM, interviewing CZ Zhao, the CEO of Binance. And until then, good luck hodling, everyone.